What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 109 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Bittner, and this week I'm joined by John Cartwright. Uh, Ash is currently off at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, Andre's in Texas, and Tom's in Canada. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, just the two of us this week, but uh, John, how have you been? I've been pretty good. So last week we were kind of rushing off um, because I had to see The Incredibles 2 like directly after our <laughs> right. recording. Um, so yeah, I, I have a few impressions on that now. But to be honest, I've not really thought about it since watching it. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Both me and my fiance had a blast seeing it. But um, yeah, in, in the week since then, it's not really crossed my mind once. Which I guess is, is, is a bad sign. Because um, <laughs> the original Incredibles was such a great movie. But yeah, this one I've just not really had much of um, a lasting impression on. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but the thing that struck me is that I, I remember for the first good bit of the movie, I was also just kind of like, you know, none of these jokes are really landing for me. It's really not even that jokey. It's kind of just, eh, it's, it's nothing really is clicking for me. Uh, but as soon as Elastigirl got back in action, that's when the movie started clicking for me and actually being really entertaining. But like you, I saw it, enjoyed it, didn't really think about it much. It just sort of mm. came and went. Like, it's one of those movies that everybody always wanted because the original is so good. And this is good. Yeah, that's a good yeah, movie. It's, it's a good follow up. You know, it's good for the same reasons the first one was good, too. But it, it just doesn't really, it doesn't get better than the first one. Um, it, it's just a decent sequel, really. I mean, it's, it's a lot better than some of Pixar's other sequels. It's, it's better than any Cars sequel, for sure. Yeah, without a <laughs> but, doubt. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, not, it's not up there with the best, though. Like, the Toy Story sequels are still uh, my favorites by far. Yeah, I, yeah, I think not, nothing really comes close in the Pixar canon as far as sequels to that. It was... That was they were just surprisingly good, like better in a lot of ways mm. than the original. And I don't know. With the this one was all about get uh, making sure to get that superhero act um, repealed, which cool, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I just I'm not sure if it was a story worth telling though. I almost would have liked to seen them advance a little more, especially because a lot of the stuff that happened at the end of the last one kind of got undone almost immediately. Right. And I think the the first one had a really strong villain too that was sort of built up from um, from right at the start of the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas the sequel's villain is very obvious, and I think you're going to guess who it is pretty much immediately. <laughs> At least yeah. I did. Yeah, it wasn't that hard to figure out. It's like it's going to be like I was mainly be like, okay, it's going to be one of these two, and like depending on what kind of twist they they go with. And right. uh, it's like, yep, I can see that coming. Like because they only introduced. Obviously, the villain is going to be somebody they know. <laughs> like it's always going yeah. to happen. Um, so it wasn't. It's never going to be that surprising. Uh, but it was still like there was some good stuff. Like you know, like Jack Jack was brilliant. Oh yeah. Jack Jack has so many good moments. He really like, does. Um, that that, that battle scene with the, the raccoon, raccoon oh was just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that poor raccoon. He was dead. Like that raccoon was tenacious. <laughs> I was like, if I saw, a, if I was a raccoon and saw a kid with laser eyes coming at me, I'd get the heck out of there. <laughs> right. Uh, I walked into, we went into the Disney store because my fiance collects uh, Sumsums. Uh-huh. So and um, there's just so much Jack Jack merchandise everywhere. Like in a way, I don't, I don't remember that at all with the first movie. It's very much about you know the the main cast of characters, mm-hmm. whereas the merchandise for this is just entirely Jack Jack and no one else. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, because Jack-Jack became such a fave in the original, and 
Yeah, they 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 definitely wanted to play that up here. And personally, like as great as the raccoon fight is, him and Edna together. That's that's some of my uh-huh. favorite stuff. Like the <laughs> the animation for that is just really really fun. Um, oh yeah. But, yeah, um, we we watched the first Incredibles just before this to get uh, like a fresh mind on um on what, what happened before that, mm-hmm. and the the animation jump is drastic. Like they're 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 so much more expressive in the sequel. Um, you can tell it from like from the word go. Like their their facial expressions are just so elastic. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a way that in the original one was kind of static in comparison. So you know, yeah, it, this just kind of shows how far we've gone. Not only in um, rendering quality. But just just in pure animation, it's just a huge jump from the first film. Oh yeah, I saw somebody like compare the faces of uh, Tony. I think it was the, the Violet's crush, and mm-hmm. they almost completely redesigned his face. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's, it's 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 pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, but I, as far as the stories, like it, Dash had nothing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really didn't. Um, they they kind of had that. Um, the Violet and Dash um, dynamic going on for a couple of minutes, but yeah, it, it it very much became a Violet scene after a while. Like Dash just kind of went off into the corner while Violet um, took on a bunch of the other villains. So yeah, Dash really didn't do a whole lot in this movie, did he? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I guess in comparison, in the first movie, Dash did more than Violet. So maybe they're just sort of trying to balance that out a bit more. Um, but yeah, totally, he didn't do much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get that sense. So, I mean, but all the action scenes with Elastigirl, like Elastigirl was fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, it, it played very different beats because the first movie had um, a ton of emphasis on Mr. Incredible, mm-hmm. whereas this one has a ton of emphasis on Elastigirl. And again, you know, I just said about Violet and Dash, their, their dynamics were kind of shifted too. So I like that. I like that they're, they're trying to um, iron out the cast a bit more. So that's good. But yeah, they didn't really have the balance going for absolutely everyone. And um, that's where it kind of fell apart a little bit. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I just I, I've been wanting to go to the movie, back to the movies and see something. Like I, I know Ocean's Eight is still in theaters, at least around me. Uh, Won't you be my neighbor? I found out is is in my theater is in my theater chain now, so I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, like then, like I actually enjoyed the first Hotel Transylvania. I didn't see. I haven't seen the second one, but with this whole. AMC stubs thing that I got where it's basically $20 for uh, movie ticket uh, for the month and you get see three movies a week if you want um, I want to take advantage of it so it's like you know what I enjoyed the first let's go see the third but I haven't had the time because uh, it's been a lot of focus on Octopath for me like I, even though I beat the game I'm still playing the heck out of it in order to get more stuff because people kind of want to see my updated impressions about it and I haven't been able to give that yet uh, just because I've been trying to get everything and there, this, this, this is the meaty game this is a very meaty game uh, I am approaching 75 hours right and uh, we've, we've spoken a little bit about this and your impressions overall still kind of sound the same as your review like your impressions of the game at least mm-hmm. uh, as a general you, you're still you're standing by your review which is good, you know, you, you played for a solid 45 hours and you had a good handle of the game. And it sounds like you still have that handle going on there. Um, but yeah, as you say, there's, there's uh, so much more content to go through. 
And um, yeah, you've you've just been going at it like constantly. Whenever we're doing um, discussions, it's always like straight back to Octopath like immediately after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, this is this update's going on. Okay, back to Octopath. Okay, this happened. Okay, back to Octopath, and just trying to get it because <laughs> a, a lot of what I did, like I got to a point where I did get to the final dungeon. I have a guide out now where yeah, on how to unlock it yourself, and I try to keep it as story uh, like keep away from any kind of story type stuff as possible just say go here do this take care of this don't go into any specifics and that's why i labeled it as spoiler free because there are elements of these uh final uh, these side quests that you have to do that do tie into uh the story going forward and uh it's actually really interesting uh as far as like you'll never you'll never get a ton of interactions between the characters eventually there are um, multiple character character interactions that are not related to the story. It's just like, hey, this is going on. Let's have a little conversation about this. Like, uh, oh, Primrose, you dance so well, according to Hanna and uh, Cyrus. So it's like, oh, anybody can dance like this. Let me teach you. And then they try to teach. She tries to teach her. And it's like, oh, gods, what have I done? This is all. They're awful. <laughs> you know, little interactions like that that do give you a sense of the dynamic between all the characters. No real reason, of course, why there's traveling together because it's like, why is a cleric like Ophelia traveling traveling with a thief like uh, Therion. It makes uh-huh. no sense. But the way they build up the world after you beat all the stories and showing just show how interconnected everything actually is um, as far as the world that's pretty cool like the the final dungeon does it the uh some of the side quests you do because you'll have side quests related to some of the characters you meet during the story and then you'll flush out those characters and say oh okay there's this connection or this connection and those moments are cool but again you'll never get a like about your get that kind of sense about your own characters it's just like how they're related to each other as far as what they were trying to accomplish um, yeah it's kind of a shame because I, I I did want them to at least interact a little bit, like maybe even um, kind of like how Bravey Default does it sometimes, where you can have like little side conversations when you're on the overworld. Mm-hmm. That would have been cool. Um, but yes, yeah, it sounds like you get it a little bit in the final dungeon, but probably not to the extent that people wanted throughout the entire game. Um, but then again, you know, I guess the world is kind of a character that ties everyone together. So even if they aren't really uh, communicating... Um, that's that dynamic still kind of pulls everyone together, which I do appreciate. But yeah, I think people wanted a little bit more, you know, direct communication between the characters. Mm-hmm. Honestly, probably the biggest fault the game has that I did I failed to mention in my review uh, is the fact that the side quests are very often not very clear about what you need to do, um, okay. or you need to like it'll be it'll be this. Like, I just figured out one the other day, or yesterday, where this old woman, I, I was looking through side quests, because the way I was, I, I failed against the final boss, the final dungeon boss, I don't want to call him the final mm-hmm. boss, but final dungeon boss, um, the first time I tried it. And I've been doing a bunch of side quests, because that gets you better equipment, and um, uh, those nuts that increase your, permanently increase stats and whatnot. So I'm like, let's, let's get those, see more of these side quests, and... That way I don't have to, you know, just mindlessly grind. Let's see if this is enough in order for me to actually be able to take on this boss. And uh, it, it, one of those, one of the, as I was looking through these side quests, I saw um, this old woman talk about how uh, she had her, you know, she was regretting calling her son, 
basically lazy good for nothing that will never amount to anything essentially not those exact mm-hmm. words and then you talk to an np then i just so happened to have recently talked to an npc where he's like ha i've got i've got this position that'll show you who's a exact words basically and it's like it's that subtle thing it's like oh okay this is who they're talking about so you have to you know uh, have him like escort him to her in order to complete the quest and it's a lot, lot of stuff like that it's like hey remember this one npc yeah they're kind of important you need to do this thing and there's a lot of towns and a lot of npcs so i'm like oh god so it's essentially at some point you almost have to talk to everybody in order to find out what you need to do or hey you're supposed to provoke this guy and like even though you think it's supposed to be something else it's really obtuse at times yeah i, I get that uh, at the same time, though, um, one of my least favorite kind of side quests is when you talk to an NPC, and let, let's use that example. Like they say, like, "Oh, my my son's a good for nothing, so and so. Let me mark his position on your map, and you can go and find him." <laughs> I, I I hate that exactly. So much. <laughs> yeah, because the, the whole so, thing is that like she hasn't talked to him in ten years, so obviously she wouldn't know where he is. So I get right, that. Yeah, so many RPGs do that though. Like um, the the, the, the kind of the structure they have is um. I need you to do this thing. I'm going to put it on your map. You're going to go over here, get the item, bring it back to me, and then I'll probably say I need another item. It's over here. Mark it on your map, go back over there, go back to the NPC. And that's just a very um, artificial sense of um, questing, which I don't appreciate. Um, So I like it when RPGs go a little hands-off. Maybe this is going too hands-off, but at the same time, I do like it when there's um, a little bit more subtlety Mm -hmm. rather than the NPCs just, like, directly telling you where to go. (laughs) Yeah, and in that way, it does accomplish it quite well. The problem is it's maybe a little too subtle where it's like, you know, talk a little bit about it and, like, they finished their their whole little spiel and I'm like, okay, what do you want from me? (laughs) Like, I don't know what you want. (laughs) And then I'll, like, come across, I'll, like, I'll be talking to a random NPC on the road and all of a sudden I find this one item, like, oh, this is what they were talking about. And go. Because that's the other annoying thing is, like, there are quests and NPCs on the roads in between towns. So uh, at some point, like, I never did it, but at some point I was like, you know, I might have to just walk through every single road to see if I can find NPCs relating to this and that's that's honestly the big problem with the final dungeon is that you have to complete two different quest lines after you complete everybody's stories in order to unlock this dungeon and if you don't know about this you you'll never you you won't know you'll just have to sort of stumble upon it and just like end up doing it yourself yeah i think this um this came to light from the official guide i think yes. i think someone um yeah so that so without that i'm not sure if people would even know at this point <laughs> probably not because i was like like because that's the thing everybody's story is that there's these little connections that you do see but they never seem to go anywhere with it and it's not until this final dungeon that they explain those connections Mm-hmm. so yeah th- there's definitely a balance to be found with this kind of um this structure because i think if we just sort of had um if we go back to that example of npcs just sort of telling you where to go it gets into this very static kind of world building and um it, sometimes it can be too subtle but other times you kind of get this click where it's this feeling of mastery that you know exactly what to do mm. in in the game world and that feels good yeah um but it, it's it's when there's a hurdle between that and you just don't know what to do that's when there's a big problem and um actually this is kind of off topic but um because Yokai Watch, um, is it Yokai Watch Four yes. had a screenshot recently. Um, people are comp- comparing that a lot to Pokemon, 
and how the, the town structure and scope is vastly different. But one thing I don't like about Yokai Watch is progression is completely dictated by waypoints. So you wander around the... So yeah, the, the world map is huge. There's towns and, um, and houses absolutely everywhere. But I would not know where to go without a waypoint. And um, I kind of consider that not necessarily bad design, but it doesn't make me like take in the world. So when I'm walking around a Pokemon town, I am looking at every single house and I'm recognizing um, where it is. I can know. I, I can go back there and um, still be familiar with it. Whereas in Yokai Watch, I am not taking my surroundings at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just following that waypoint. Mm-hmm. So in RPGs, I like to have kind of a balance um, between guided and um, and organic. And I don't think Yokai, Yokai Watch achieves that at all. Um, I think Octopath. I actually, I, I've only played the demo so far, but Octopath um, so far, I think, does achieve that. And that is something I kind of want Yoko Watch 4 to build upon. Because the, se- the the prior ones, I just got very bored. It became very mm-hmm. static for me. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I, 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 I'm not a Waypoint fan. <laughs> I beat the first one, and, you know, the first time you go through the town, you want to explore everything. And then you just, like, it gets to be a point where it's so big and so compact that you're just like, oh, I don't care anymore. And just stop worrying about it. It's like, so I did beat the first one. I never beat the second one. I just never got mm-hmm. as into it. And I... I have no interest in the third, and honestly, not that much in the fourth. Like, there's a lot of charm to Yokai Watch uh, that I completely understand how people can can get into. But the thing with the Yokai Watch for screenshot is that this is the same town. This is you know, this is the town we've been in for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, character design might be a little different. I haven't looked at it too closely, but the scale is a lot different from Pokemon. And even Pokemon, like if you look at it, I think Joe Serebi on uh, Twitter mentioned this as well. Um, People were talking about uh, comparing it directly to Let's Go, and Let's Go is trying to do a very different thing from the standard Pokemon games that we've come to expect, because we did get those dynamic camera angles and alternate ways of looking at things on the 3DS. You do that same sort of thing that you did for Sun and Moon and put it on the the Switch, it's going to be a beautiful looking game just like Yokai Watch 4. Maybe not as beautiful looking because Game Freak has never been... all about graphics or anything like that but yeah this is trying very much to have the same sort of vein as the original games uh that top-down perspective that there's a reason the camera is very static this entire time um, yeah which I-, I do wonder if it were behind the shoulder um do you reckon it would make the towns feel smaller because yes. obviously these towns are made for game boy they're, they're quite small um so even the largest towns when you're behind the shoulder i suppose them you can see the entirety of the town at once and it's just going to make the scale feel dwarfed. Yeah. So I wonder if if that's a design choice specifically for this game, and maybe Gen Eight will have a larger scale with um with with a different camera. Uh, I'm not entirely sure at this point, but I, I reckon that's probably why they made that decision. Yeah, because the thing is, Kanto was tiny. <laughs> Kanto is very yeah. tiny. <laughs> but even the biggest cities are extremely tiny because they were on Game Boy. So you'd have to embellish and make these towns a lot bigger if you're going to scale. With this new with this camera they're going for, they don't have to do that. And granted, I'd love to see Kanto completely remade and like like make it into a more living, breathing world in the same way as Alola. But that's not what they're going with here. And I understand intent uh, when it comes to these games. Like this is what they want to do. They want to go for a more let's go. And it's still cool to see these buildings updated for a more modern generation. And uh, it's still interesting to see and the interiors of buildings like the interior of the uh, the fossil museum in pewter city 
it, it's cool to see like the aerodactyl hanging from the ceiling and the actual uh, skeleton of Kabutops on the side, rather than have to look at the display and then get a picture of it. Like it, it, it's, it's a good sense of progression from where we started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the um, the prior Pokemon games had this quite big divide between the world of Pokemon and the human world. So we actually say in the in the fossil museum, um, you can't actually see any Pokemon unless you interact with the environment. So what, what you're looking at is basically just a room. Like there's no hints of Pokemon being in there. So you're now with the remakes. Um, well, with Let's Go at least, they um, they're sort of pushing Pokemon into the world a bit more. Uh, I think they have very few examples of Pokemon actually in the towns in um, the original Kanto games. And it seems like they're, they're, they're sort of doubling down on that a bit more. Which is something Yokai Watch does very well, actually. Yokai Watch incorporates the Yokai into the world extremely well. You know, it's, it's a plot point. You see them around town. You can go and find them and friend them. Um, so that, that is a very good part of Yokai Watch. But, um, yeah, uh, the two just aren't really that comparable, to be honest. I mean, really. they, both have, they both have huge, like, monster catalogs. That's kind of where it ends. You know, the, the, yeah. the town structure and progression is so different between the two franchises. Yeah, I mean, it, to, for me, Yokai Watcher's structure is more like episodes of a, of a TV show. Like, you're just, like, here's this... Yokai Watch 1 is basically, here's season 1, here's season 2, here's season 3. Mm-hmm. For, for Yokai Watch 2 and 3, it's like, it's just... That's just how it feels like it's structured, which is cool. Like it, it gives you a sense of like, what, what are we doing in this episode? But but it is episodic in that nature, and it does eventually build towards an overall plot. But I can't remember it for the life of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's a nice alternative to Pokemon. Uh, it's not a replacement, and it's not even really a competitor. Um, but it's it's always good to have more RPGs like this. You know, it's not one or the other. And when when you have competition, it encourages the other um, franchise to make changes. So if Yokai Watch is going to be competing against Pokemon, that's only a good thing. That, that only means we're going to get advancements in Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing, you know. It's great to have um, these different franchises, and I think people should sort of embrace them both. And if you're not interested, then that's fine. You know, you don't you don't you're not forced to like both games. No, oh, yeah, it just it's everybody has their tastes, so. You know, some might prefer prefer Yokai Watch more, which is completely fine. Some might prefer Pokemon more, also fine. Or some people are just like, oh, monster collecting monsters—that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or like Andre. Or, yeah. Or or another person, the fourth person is like, where the hell's Monster Rancher? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. But yeah, uh, what else have you been playing uh, this? past week um so i've been dipping in and out of hollow knight again which i'm still very (laughs) very pleased with um actually i've got a train journey later so i'm gonna play that uh on the way there um but yeah i I, i'm i'm in love with this game it's just such a great balance um but yeah not a whole lot more to say since last time on that Mm. but i did just do a playthrough of yoshi's island on the um super nintendo um classic which i um i always forget how much i like the super nintendo classic (laughs) <laughs> the, the game catalogue on that machine is just really good. And, um, yeah, I don't I don't play these classic systems all too often uh, unless I am capturing footage for a game. But whenever I do, I just have such a... I, I just love these mini-systems. I can't wait for more of them. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Yoshi's Island is still just such a great game. Um, one aspect of it, though, that I'm not entirely um, sure holds up is the life system. Um I think when you collect a bunch of items 
and you spend a lot of time doing that, and then when you die and lose all those items, you kind of lose the motivation to go back and do it again. Yeah. And I, I kind of hope the, the new Yoshi game on Switch reworks that. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how it will do it, because Willy World was kind of the same. Um, Willy World had badges, you know, like you could bounce out of pits to prevent that from happening. Uh, I'm also not also sure if that's the right way to do it either. So it's a very tricky balance, because dying is a form of difficulty, and without difficulty, the game gets boring. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how you balance that out. That's something I have to look into a bit more. Um, but yeah, that, that was one aspect that I found kind of frustrating, because whenever I spent maybe like 10, 20 minutes searching the level for items, and then just lost all that progression, I kind of just raced to the end of the level after that. I don't, I don't, I don't always go back to find them again. Um, so I'm not sure if you had that approach to Yoshi as well. Like, Oh, I'm always exploring would- in Yoshi and trying to find everything, because the thing is, Yoshi games are kind of boring if you just run through it <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> like there's there's not as much to interact with the levels are kind of short and the first one gets away with you know not being quite like that you know they have somehow they found a way to keep the level interesting even if you're not going for everything uh which i don't know if they've even ever reached uh recapture that even with woolly world um but it's also one of those things like you do like you are expected to collect as much as possible or at least attempt to and to you get these extra levels and it, it can get really challenging if you're going for that like that's the only real form of challenge you're going to get uh from these mm-hmm. games so it's a it's a hard balance to really strike but i do i do think woolly world is the closest that got to it um but you know, they they also had levels to mix it up where they had definitely more action based levels, like those uh, bonus levels where you're hanging on to the curtain as it's going around. Mm-hmm. I, those are some of my favorites, but it's also like very frustrating. Like, well, time to kill myself since I didn't get these items. <laughs> Let's go yeah. back. Yeah, that, that's that's the worst part. And Yoshi's, Yoshi's Island has that too. Like, um, there's these levels with um, you're being chased by a giant chain chomp who's easing up the level, mm-hmm. and if you miss any coins, um, you can't get them again. The only way to do that is to jump off the edge and repeat the level. Yep, I remember so that for the piranha plant level in uh, Woolly World. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, it's God. always been a problem. Yeah, um, I've, I've I've been looking at other games that um, sort of let you maintain items, and a good one is Celeste. So what Celeste does is it has these challenges to get you some strawberries. And um, basically, you have to hold on to the strawberry for a little bit before you um, before you keep it te- um, permanently. So if you grab the strawberry and get hit by something, then you lose the strawberry. But if you grab the strawberry and then touch the ground, then you keep that strawberry. So I wonder if Yoshi could kind of have like a similar dynamic there, where you um, you have to have the item for maybe a little bit, and then it's yours permanently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rayman Origins kind of did this too with those coins. Right. Um, where you have to grab them and then be, be grounded for a while and then you keep it. So I think that might be a good way around keeping your items after death. I but think so. then I guess I guess when you come back from a checkpoint then you're just sort of brought back into this sort of empty level. So maybe it's not. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very hard balance. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is, is when you come back from a checkpoint you can just rush past everything or, you know, something like that. It, it's hard to really balance that. But I do think that like the the nice thing about the structure like Celeste and Rayman Origins uh, is that it gives you mini platforming challenges and that's yeah. something Yoshi does not have a lot of yeah that's that's very true um, but yeah the, the as, you, as you touched upon earlier the, the pacing between levels in Yoshi's Island and pretty much I think Woolly World as well 
um, it's just brilliant. Like every level is very distinct from the last, and it has this kind of like roller coaster kind of pacing, where they have one level that's kind of building up very slowly, and then the next one just sort of unleashes and goes <laughs> like all the way down, and then you have another one that's kind of calm, and then you just have like a boss fight or something that just goes right back up again. So yeah, the, the games are slow and they are about exploring. But at the same time, um, they, they definitely go up and down in terms of their pacing, which is the best way to do this. And it's something um, I don't think all the sequels did very well. Yoshi's Story, I don't think, did it very well. Uh, <laughs> Yoshi's Island DS didn't do it very well. New Island wasn't that bad. I think New Island gets a bad rap, um, mostly for its music. Yeah. But it's not, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's a great game, but it's also not terrible. Yeah, it's not... I sh- I, that's my that, that game is my biggest review. Regret, I, I was too kind to it, because I was trying to find the positives, because I could just see people down on themselves, like, what is good about this game? And I went into it with the wrong mindset, where, where you know, sometimes you can look too hard for a positive in a game, and sometimes it's just like... You're overlooking the problems of here because yeah, you'll get a challenge if you're going for everything, which is kind of the point. But it's also the game. I don't know. It never really encouraged me to do it. It, it just came across as boring until you got to the bonus levels, which were just almost too damn hard. Mm-hmm. And it was a- another yeah. problem is the game pretty much just remakes the original Yoshi's Island. Like it has all the same enemies, most yeah. of the same level gimmicks, um, but it just doesn't do it as well. And when you're trying to replicate a game that came before and you don't do it as well as that game, then that's kind of a problem. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> it's just... Uh, again, again, big review regret. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone has those. I think Ash said um, he gave Twilight Princess to either score initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what I regret. I, I guess I haven't come to that point yet, but I'm sure I will. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a game. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll play far enough and be like, oh God, what was I thinking? <laughs> Um, well, speaking of the classic, real quick, I did get the NES classic. I was able to pick that up, and I uh, I had my office situated in such a way like I got a nice uh, chair to sit in while I'm gaming, trying to keep myself comfortable while we, for these long sessions, especially with Octopath. But the way I had it arranged before was my t- my the chair was just way too close to my TV. Like I had this huge. I think I have like a sixty inch TV, and it's just right in front of my eyes, and I'm maybe. A foot or two away from the from it from it, and it's just it's just <laughs> way too close. And Andre, like I was, uh, I people mentioned that before, like maybe being too close. But it was the first time I had visualized it with the chair there as well. And Andre mentioned something about that because we were on a uh, video chat at one point, and um, he noticed it. And it's like, well, why don't you put it against the other wall? Like, does your TV stand fit? And so I I measured it out and tested it, and it's like, oh crap, it just fits. So I moved it there, and the bigger problem with that is that all the HDMI ports and everything else is blocked off against the wall, which is mm-hmm. kind of an issue. But I, I want to get a new TV for this room anyway, so I can keep that in mind whenever I'm buying it. It's like, okay, what do we want to work with? Because I'm still thinking I'm going to go for a slightly smaller TV, uh, just for the fact that it's just, you know... Ease of use, <laughs> you know, I don't need a huge yeah, that makes sense. TV. Plus, I can go for the, what, 4K stuff and take advantage of that, maybe. Um, yeah. And so I rearranged it, and I have a lot more space between me now. It's a lot more comfortable of a situation and worked out for me. The problem is, and the only problem that came out of this beyond the HDMI situation, um, I got the NES Classic recently, and they did not improve the length of the controllers at all, the cords. <laughs> so before, it would I actually could have the thing stay in place and be able to play just fine. Now... 
it is still like like just a little bit farther out, and it is, it was just too far. It's just too far. Like I I did it. I tested out the cord. I'm like, oh my god, it's basically the length of my arm. That is pathetic. Oh my Why didn't they not yeah. fix this? But eh, it, probably good. The, the Super Nintendo Classic controller. Um, it is longer, so that's that's good, and you can you can use it with the NES Classic. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's not an NES controller. Exactly. It just doesn't feel right for some games. <laughs> I, I might look into getting one of those extension cords that they sell for the, for the classics. Yeah, yeah, you definitely should. I mean, uh, my, my setup kind of allows for um, fairly close controllers, so it's not really been a huge problem for me. But at the same time, um, I have had a lot of occasions where I've knocked off my console um, just, <laughs> just for moving the controller around. It's so light, and it's so easy to like, just sort of fumble around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, I have no idea what they were thinking with this length. I guess they want to like replicate um, the kids being like right up close to their, to their TV, but it, it just isn't feasible. <laughs> no, it really isn't, especially with how people have their living rooms set up anymore, and like how big TVs are. Like, I, I like seriously, I was getting a bit of a headache playing Octopath Traveler in that close quarters like mm-hmm. that for hours at a time like I was marathoning the game and I'm right next to it so the entire screen is filling up my field of vision but oh god it's I just it's a little too much all at once <laughs> yeah I bet <laughs> so but the new situation the new setup is definitely a lot better and uh, now we just need to get an extender and be set up for that but yeah um, but let's go ahead and jump into our news topics for the week and uh, been a bit of an been a bit of an interesting week and starting right off with um the spyro reignited trilogy which i am super excited for and every time you see just a little bit more about this game it just it looks gorgeous the way they reinterpreted some of the uh levels in these games is just freaking beautiful uh and then they yeah, re- no doubt what's that oh, yeah no doubt mm-hmm. um I think a lot, a lot of remakes kind of lose the art style when um, when doing this kind of this reimagining. I think Shadow of the Colossus. I, I don't like how the remake looks, honestly. Oh wow! I'm quite a big fan of the original game, but I think they lost a lot of their vibe in the in the remake. Like the, um, I guess the overexposed lighting is kind of a trait of Shadow of the Colossus, and I think they kind of lost that in the in the remake. It still looks good, but I just don't think it looks quite as mystical mm-hmm. as the as the original. Um, but looking at Spyro, this is how I... It's not, it's not really how I remember it, but this is how it should look. Yeah, it's sort of like what you fill in the blanks with as a kid. Uh, and seeing these characters, you know, desi- designed like as you, you think they should. And it just, I don't know, it works so well. And you get the sense that they're just really taking their time and care with these games. Because the the big news here is that they're allowing you to toggle between the old and new music at any time. And that is so, such That's a good idea. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, not enough games do that. Uh, I know um, Resident Evil 2, um, they announced in the special edition you'll get that feature, mm-hmm. but in the standard edition you will not. Ah, bummer. So, yeah. So, you know, it, it, some other games are doing it, but they're not, in, not like, right in the package. So this is so cool. Um, yeah, the, the Spyro soundtrack's really good too, so I wonder which one's going to be better. Uh, are the are the new arrangements um, just sort of orchestrations of the originals, or are they new tunes? They're kind of both. Like they're orchestrations of the originals. Like you can definitely tell it's based on the original with them swapping back and forth. But you can see it's a it's a much it's a much uh, fuller sound, more vibrant sound, I'd say. But it, the 
the thing is, the tracks of the original are still really good for what they are and fit completely. Um, like they they actually put out a video which I recommend checking out. It is really cool. Um, and the other part of this is that we they kind of accidentally had a, a leak. Kind of, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's either a mistake or a leak, but it seems more towards a leak just because of what happened with Nintendo. Uh, UK and they're saying like, "Hey, Spyro is coming to the Switch." It's like, "Oops," <laughs> and this is basically yeah. the same thing where they had a drop-down menu for the uh, for the UK website for Spyro. So, uh, UK just keeps messing up with Spyro. Apparently, <laughs> um, <Yeah>, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> where basically there were options for a PC and Switch version, which makes sense. I, I don't doubt there's some sort of exclusivity deal right now for Spyro for a certain amount of time and then once that's up it'll appear on the Switch just like Spyro just like Crash did um, mm-hmm. and though it is yeah, on it Xbox sense. One as well isn't it like this is yes. PS4 and Xbox One simultaneous yes so I wonder if one, if one of them just sort of said like don't put it on the Switch like put it on anything <laughs> you want but not the Switch uh, or PC you can't allow that you can't let, let the modders get a hold of this <laughs> So yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I guess it's inevitable. It, it's going to happen. There's just no doubt about it. And it was definitely a kind of a mistake because Switch was listed twice, which tells me like that they just they accidentally put it in there. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I didn't really realize a PC version wasn't happening at this point. Like I I figured it was. Mm-hmm. Um. So this 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 seems very feasible. And I think PC and Switch are kind of the strongest double dip platforms. Um, like people will often rebuy a game again for portability, or rebuy it again just to have the convenience of having it on your PC. So this might be a um, a very uh, purposeful tactic, mm-hmm. or maybe they just weren't done with the ports. I mean, this does happen a lot on PC. Like Monster Hunter World has just been announced; um, it's just been given a date on PC, and you know this happens with so many PC games. So I, I do wonder if publishers hold it back on purpose, just with the intent of maybe getting more people to buy it again. I can see it. I could honestly see them pulling that off, but I'll be honest. I'm going to be getting on PlayStation Four. This is this is this game holds a special place in my heart. I haven't replayed them in a long time, um, but these were my first 3D platformers, which was oh wow. And the um, Spyro One um, didn't have analog input. No, did it? <laughs> no, it did so not. That's, that's going to be pretty a pretty major. Uh, addition to that yeah it was one of those things where i you know got a playstation it came with a demo disc it had the original spyro in there and i'm uh, for the demo and i'm like i need to play this i want to play this and then of course the sequels came out and i was all for it and uh, mm-hmm. i never actually beat the original spyro though i always got i i, I have a issue where if i don't collect everything in a level i feel like i can't go on to the next one <laughs> so i the, the treetop level i could never find the one bit and i couldn't I, did, I just, for whatever reason, did not want to move on until I found it, and I could never find it. It was just so frustrating to me because um, you know you want that hundred percent ending. It was like it, the game started me like it had got me on a collectathon. Like find all the gems. Okay, I need to find these gems. Oh God, why can't I find these last gems? Or why is this jump so hard? Um, so I never actually beat it, but I beat you know the sequels no problem and enjoyed those just as much. So I am. Oh, I'm so pumped for this game. <laughs> yeah, I love, they, they feel a lot more varied than the Crash trilogy. I think like I, I have more of an affinity towards Crash, but they're very similar games. I mean, they take place in different locations, but the core premise of the platforming is kind of the same from title to title. Mm-hmm. Whereas Spyro uh, has a lot more um, diversity. I feel so. Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting package, and it's so cheap too. Like I can't, I can't believe they're just sort of selling it for this amount. 
um, which is great. You know, it, it's it's great to have uh, a day and age where games aren't being sold at um, sixty dollars, especially for kids. You know, this mm. is a great kids game. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant price, brilliant product, and I can't wait. I'm going to get it on PS4 too. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I I, I kind of feel like I should wait out for the Switch version. But I just kind of want to play it at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's my whole thing. <laughs> the only problem with it is it's in September with every other game in existence, apparently. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, September's packed. <laughs> yeah, oh, goodness. <laughs> well, the game that's uh, not coming out in September is uh, Tor- uh, Mega Man 11, and they just revealed Torchman. Uh, well, we've seen his design, but we got an official name, we got to look at his level, all that good stuff about Torchman. It's a shame that Ash isn't able to be here because, you know, this is right down his wheelhouse. But I, I, I like the design of Wheel uh, of Torch, Wheelman, Torchman. <laughs> um, I, I, he's an interesting fire boss. His, uh, his boss fight actually seemed... Uh, it seemed like a decent choice for your first boss fight, honestly. Like, the pattern seemed mm-hmm. easy enough to pick up one, which I'm kind of down for. And I I love his origin, <laughs> where he was originally... Yeah, this is my favorite part. Yeah, the best part <laughs> about him is that he was originally designed uh, as a fire safety robot for campfires. <laughs> that is brilliant. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love uh, I love when they add this kind of context to Mega Man. Like, it, makes, it makes the um, robots feel like far more than just bosses. Um, and that's that's great. And yeah, the so far I am fully behind Torchman. He seems very distinct from other robot masters. Like we've, we've had similar kind of like fire type ones, mm-hmm. um, but he, he he just look he looks like he fights completely differently to those. And that's kind of hard to achieve when you have eleven um, core entries. <laughs> so very cool. Yeah, and I like how when you get his power, you get a uh, you know you send out and at an angle these these fire kicks that he does during his bosses. You know, Mega Man doesn't actually kick himself, but then he if he powers it up with his new overdrive mode, it'll like spread out into three. So I like I like the usability of these. Like I feel like it has a lot of potential. The fact that his level is based around a campsite again. So perfect. Uh, I just want to... Like, I'm actually getting really excited for these games. Like, I haven't picked up the Anniversary Collection yet. I want to, even though I've played and beaten all the games before. It's just, I want to have them on my Switch. And, of course, the X Legacy Collection is coming soon, and I can't wait for that and get all... I'm I'm going to get all eight games, even though eh, the Legacy Collection 2 doesn't have the best games. <laughs> so, are you going to play through X7? I might try at least a little bit and you see should. what this is all about. We'll we'll see. We'll see. I've never played it before, so I'm like I'm kind of curious. But I've heard good things yeah, about I, X8. Not, yeah, I mean I played X8. X8's pretty good. I've not touched X7. I've been told not never to do that. So <laughs> I should probably. I, I want to actually. I, I want to break that promise. I, I want to play it at some point. Like it's, it seems too. It's like one of those games that's so bad that it might be good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I can find. A little bit of enjoyment out of Sonic 06. Let's see if I can find that same kind of enjoyment out of X7. <laughs> it's just how ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I frankly love Sonic R. I think Sonic R is a really fun game, <laughs> even though it's so terribly designed. <laughs> yeah, I never got it, but music is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the X Legacy Collection, the soundtrack uh, has actually teased a new installment in the series. Uh, like people are getting their their soundtracks in for the series uh, for the games in Japan, uh, or early copies um, have made their way. And there's a blurb in the composer's commentary page that says the story of X's fight is not yet over. Which, yeah, that's a pretty big indication. Like, yeah, we're gonna make an X9. <laughs> I mean, what else could it mean? 
And this isn't the first time they've done it either. I mean, the Legacy Collection 2 um, had art for Mega Man 11, so it feels like if there is going to be a Mega Man um, X9 hint, it's probably going to be somewhere in this anniversary celebration. Um, and uh, I, I, d- I don't know if it's going to be in the X Collection. Um, it might be hidden in there somewhere. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else this could be. Like this has got to be X Nine. <laughs> yeah, either that or Command Mission Two. <laughs> yeah, all that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring back the RPG. Although I did love X's design in that game. Uh, like mm-hmm. uh, the character design was really good. But yeah, this that's exciting. Like I think if they can if they can do what they did for Mega Man, what they're doing for Mega Man Eleven for X Nine. Oh, I'm so there. It'll be really cool to see. Yeah, what a, what a new era for this franchise. I mean, we've got the TV show, which um, doesn't look that bad. It looks it looks okay. It looks like a standard um, kids' cartoon. Yeah, it doesn't have much uh, impact. I felt I watched the trailer and during the fight scenes, whenever they were sort of hitting each other, like you don't really feel anything. No. <laughs> it's like almost like a pillow fight almost with the robot masters. <laughs> but it still looks it looks fun enough. It looks. Um, I mean, it's it's Mega Man, you know. They're they're doing Mega Man stuff in 2018, and they're not only just doing one thing; they're doing so many different projects. So it, it really does feel like this franchise is back. And my fingers are still crossed for Legends Three, even though I know it's probably never going to happen. Yeah, that'd be wonderful if they can do that. Maybe they're just working through it. Maybe they'll. I would I would say maybe we'll get a zero five, but zero four kind of definitively wraps up that story that arc um yeah so maybe we'll get actually a new zx game which i've never played those i've heard decent things yeah i mean it kind of feels like the, the you know the world is mega man's oyster at the moment um and yeah i hope i mean we we've already seen mega man 11 in action ash has played it extensively in in a preview events and i can't see it being bad i, re- mm-hmm. I really can't it just looks really fun at the moment yeah so it's not. It, it feels like he's in good hands. Yeah, and it's not going to be. It doesn't. It's definitely not going to be a long game. It's going to be about that typical Mega Man length. You can already sense that. But there's already so many like time attack, score attack, balloon pop stuff like that. Like to keep you playing the game. That's good. Those are good ideas to keep the main core game relatively short and in line with the rest of the series. But to have plenty of extras to keep you playing the game. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm. I'm. I'm really looking forward to this, and it's. It's great to see. Uh, Mega Man in there, and I've actually seen a few Twitter posts like you know people were su- surprised about uh, you know Eleven being good and pe- people being like, well, how can it do well without Inafune? And uh, as a lot of people pointed out, Inafune never really did anything great with the series. <laughs> like he just <laughs> he's kind of the herald, and but he also like his push for Western developers, Capcom, also put them in dire straits. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it seems like a lot of his ideas just weren't didn't pan out very well. Um, I mean, you, you, you're seeing that today. I mean, Red Ash, I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore. Yeah. But it was a failed Kickstarter that still somehow got funded by an external company. And it, it, I think it's still going. I think there's an anime for it yeah, in think, production. I guess. They, I know the anime, they, they had a preview anime. Like they had the voice acting and, a, you know, kind of animatic in some points, but still getting an idea of it. And I... I watched a little, but I was also kind of bored. <laughs> like it's like I, yeah. I I don't care about these characters. I, I really don't. Yeah, so. I mean, um, I um when when Legends Three got announced, um, I hadn't played any of the prior games before that, oh. so I jumped in and bought Legends. Um, as soon as I, as soon as I saw footage for three and and enjoyed that, and um, I played through Legends and I thought that game was just really great. Like mm-hmm. the, the world is unlike any other on PS One. 
And you know there are there are elements that have kind of aged in time, but it's still just such a fun game. And um, so so coming off of that and enjoying it for the first time, and then for that game to be cancelled was heartbreaking. Because <laughs> I, I was looking forward to that so much. But when when the Red Ash Kickstarter came around, I felt nothing. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't. I mean, that was after Mighty Number no. Nine. Um, but I just had no will to even acknowledge it. Really, I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's a legend successor. But Inafune had lost so much goodwill that I didn't really have any belief that it would even come out. And, you know, it's not come out, so I guess yeah. that's kind of that surfaced. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody had that feeling. We didn't even get Mighty Number no. 9, and yet here's, like, let's write off the Legends coattails and do that. And, like, Legends was really... Like, I, I, the PlayStation era is when I discovered Mega Man. I had a friend that uh, loved the, the series and, like, you should check, always saying you should check it out. So I went to a Blockbuster, rented, uh, was able to rent both Mega Man 8 and X4. And uh, didn't beat either of them. Both of them, like, I found them both just too hard for me. And it just, I, even though 8 is, like, one of the easiest in the series, like, just, I just, <laughs> getting it, my head wrapped around the mechanics just wasn't coming to me. Um, but I still enjoyed them. Like, they were fun, but I was like, man, these are games are tough. Uh, and then he let me borrow his copy of Legends. And that's where the games, like, really clicked for me. Like, Legends blew my mind back in the day playing playing it on PlayStation. Especially because, like, especially in retrospect, it, it was cool then. It's really cool now. Legends has some of the best voice acting on the, on the, on the system. Like, oh, up yeah. there with Metal Gear Solid, I'd say. Best presentation on the system. Legends, uh, to this day, Legends still has a really appealing art style that has not really aged at all. Uh, and yeah, as you said, the voice acting is just great too. And the music's also great. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a different vibe to other Mega Man soundtracks. Like This is a bit more relaxed. Um, like the town theme, for instance, doesn't really sound like anything from any other prior game. But it's just it sounds so good, it looks so good, and it still plays really well too. Um, Legends 2 has slightly more refined controls, yeah. but the first game I actually prefer, honestly. I, I found the vibe was just much more wholesome, um, and yeah, I, I can still go back to that game any day and really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I still prefer Legends 2. I like the uh, slightly darker <clears throat> darker storyline. I, th- I found it really interesting, and the way they were going and building up this world of Legends, Like I was like, man, this is this is fascinating, Like what they're doing with all this, and all the different, uh, the new Sky Pirates and the battles with them. And uh, it was, it did feel more refined and I liked that refinement. I can still easily go back to the original Legends and enjoy everything about it. Like the Bonds are some of the best Mega Man creations out there. Like they are some amazing characters and they still use the serve bots to this day. Uh, like they, oh, yeah. they're amazing. The only yep. one I haven't played yet, and I got it on PlayStation 3 as part of the, le- uh, the when it finally was released digitally, was Tron Bond. And I need to play mm-hmm. that game. Yeah, same here. I um I was kind of tempted to get the physical version, but it's it's pretty oh, pricey at the moment. There, before it came out digitally, um, I was looking at it a few times. I'm like, oh my gosh, this game's so expensive. Yeah, yeah. Mega Man Legends was one of the few games um I imported the American version for because for some reason the PAL version is just ridiculously expensive. Um, the same for uh, Symphony of the Night. Like, hmm. that game's worth, like, £100 here. Oh, my gosh. Whereas it's, like, maybe $20 in America. So I've got this American PS2 just sort of lounging around pretty much just for Legends and Symphony, Symphony of the Night <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. But, yeah, like, hopefully we'll see more from Mega Man. It's been it's been a good start, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a interesting crossover, though, <laughs> that... 
I guess makes sense. Uh, Should have made sense. It's happened before. Uh, kinda. Um, Nintendo's teaming up with Hot Wheels again. And this time they're getting Mario Kart-specific Hot Wheels coming out next year. And what's really interesting about this, and I, I, the extra step I just was not expecting, is that they're also planning on having uh, tracks based on the courses from the actual games. And that's a cool mm, idea. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's some very crazy courses in Mario Kart 8. So I wonder if they're going to use ones that have, like, crazy anti-gravity segments. Because that's going to be quite kind of hard to pull off. <laughs> a little bit. But um, there, there are tracks that kind of loop around, so that, that may work. Or maybe they might have, like, magnets or something to keep them on the track. Uh, it'd be interesting. And I, I, I kind of think they may go the, the safe route and maybe have, like, a flat Super Nintendo kind of style um, track. Yeah, I can see that. But I, I hope they get a bit more extravagant. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to get Mount Wario or anything like that. <laughs> that'd be amazing, though. <laughs> it would. That, oh, man, that'd be awesome to see. But just the cars themselves, like especially with the fact they're only five bucks each, it's like, man, I kind of want these just to have them because they're kind of cool yeah. and surprisingly well-detailed. For a company that focuses mainly on you know designing cars, the character models are pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool to just have as merchandise, if anything. Um, yeah, I can't really see myself playing with these too often, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I am kind of inclined just to have them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I could see getting my nephews these if they once they get a little older for you know actually enjoy Hot Wheels and not just want to eat them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but it, it it makes sense, and the production seems pretty on point. So I have nothing bad to say about this. Yeah, it's it's neat having um, merchandise for like the lesser. Uh, known Mario Kart characters. Like we, we often have, um, like we have Mario in a cart, or Luigi in a cart, or Yoshi, but we don't usually have like Rosalina or something. So that's pretty cool to have too. Yeah, Rosalina was a surprise to actually see her get some merchandise. But she's always she's been getting more and more popular as time goes on. Like she's been popular ever since she first appeared. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just a great character, and it, it's cool to see them push this. Like again, it just shows how Nintendo really is focusing on um, getting their brands out there. Mm -hmm. So, yep. And uh, the final bit of news we have is one that's a little interesting. I'm not quite sure how to take this one. So we were talking about uh, Pokemon Let's Go before uh, when we were talking about Yokai Watch. And it's come out that the gyms in the game games will all have requirements. Now, we saw this with Brock in the Pewter Gym where you had to have either a water or grass type in order to enter the gym. Now, we, I, I initially thought that was like, okay, maybe it's just for the first gym. They don't won't do that for the others. It's get you started. But no, every gym is going to have some kind of requirement, whether it's a specific type of Pokemon or a, uh, a level requirement or even something else. And I'm not sure how I feel about this one. It, it really depends on the implementation itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kanto games had this split path at one point where you can either go to, um, I think it was Saffron City or Fuchsia City. Mm. And um, you can do those gyms in pretty much any order you want. So I wonder if they're going to make that more linear. Like you can't enter that gym until you've done that gym or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I thought it might be okay for the first gym. You know, it's teaching you, that you about um, elemental differences. Mm. But when you're doing it for the whole game, I don't know. That just sounds a little bit too handholdy. 
Yeah, that's the thing I'm sort of getting with. It's like, like plus it kind of disrupts your team. Like, hey, you need to have this, you know, t- Pokemon type on your team. Well, I don't have that Pokemon type on my team. I want to use these Pokemon. Well, tough. You got to use the yeah, use this. You type. know, that, that's that's what Sun and Moon went to resolve because Pokemon games have always made made you um, carry around certain types to use HMs. But then Sun and Moon went. Actually, no, you can just use these um, these other Pokemon. They can just do it for you. But now we're going back into this groove where you have to have different Pokemon in your team. So we've gone through this weird loop where we've sort of erased that, and now we're back into these mandatory Pokemon. Yeah. So I, I, I don't really know what they're going for there, because I thought they had a good thing going with you um, using any Pokemon you want in your team. So, yeah, I, I don't really know what, what they're going for. No. And the only thing I can think of that would maybe fix this is, like, okay, like you need to have a Pokemon at level 15 and or so to enter you know, Misty's Gym. Let's say, for example, um, well, uh, okay, well, here we go. You know, okay, here's a Pokemon that's level 15. I get past, and then I swap out to the lower level Pokemon if I want. Maybe not the best example, mm-hmm. but I'm like, because you have the box with you at all times, maybe once you get past the guy requiring you to have a water or grass type, it's like, okay, cool, now I'm th- through. Let's switch to somebody else. So let's switch to who I want. So it it's, really depends, because the thing is, I'm going into Brock, of course I'm going to have a water or grass type. The only other option is like <laughs> if I found a fighting type. But with the mechanics of Go, we're going to be catching Pokemon like crazy, so I'm going to have a water or grass type. Uh, that does make sense, yeah. So it really depends on what kind of requirements they put out there. But again, since you have the box with you, I'm hoping you can customize once you get past that guy at the front <laughs> i hope so if you know it feels good um beating a trainer with a very low level pokemon and uh, especially in gyms uh and i feel like that's kind of gonna, gonna go missing and then maybe you'll have this sort of flat line of difficulty where it's just always having you at this level you need to be and when you're always at that level there's not really any challenge so yeah hopefully they can still maintain that but i'm not so sure if they can yeah Again, challenge seems to be the biggest thing. Like I see elements where I could say uh, where it's like, okay, this will have at least some challenge. And again, I'm not expecting huge challenge, a huge challenge out of Pokemon, um, but at least let me make make me think. You know? Yeah, that's, that's what we want. That's that's literally all we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. It's it's not encouraging, but I do want to see it in action before I pass final judgment on it. Uh huh. So. But, uh, well, let's go ahead and get over to our uh, Patreon topics for this week. Uh, as always, you can support us for just $1 a month on Patreon. We get these podcasts three days early. Uh, usually, every, it's supposed to be every Friday, but it's been Saturday lately because of the Smash discussions. <laughs> so, uh, sorry for that. Uh, but you do get those Smash discussions as a, um, <clears throat> a uh, MP3 file, so you can enjoy those slightly early, as well as be able to take it with you, not have to watch it on YouTube if you so choose, as well as uh, uh, get... Um, access to our Discord and the VIP VIP lounge there, and, of course, uh, asking questions for these topics. So, uh, yeah. John, do you want to go first, or should I? Uh, I guess I can go first. So uh, my question comes from um, Jeff Edelstein, who says, Hey, GX, I was wondering if you have any recommendations as to, di- um, as to disability representation in gaming. I think you talked about mental health in gaming with Hellblade and Celeste, but what about protagonists or other characters with other kinds of disabilities? So um, there's actually quite an interesting episode uh, of Game Maker's Toolkit from Mark Brown that I was watching the other day. And um, he went into disability in gaming. And one thing that was striking, which I've never really noticed before, 
is how subtitles in gaming are literally terrible. (laughs) In movies, subtitles are really bold with a few letters on screen. Um, A few words on screen, I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in games, they're this ridiculously small font, often um, in the branding of a game, so they're hard to read the font. And they have, like, the entire paragraph on screen at once. And that is very hard to read for someone with a disability. And very few games actually get that right. And a lot of games often don't subtitle um, NPCs. So if, like, an NPC... Uh, like Mark Brown used an example in Hitman, where um, one of the NPCs says, like, you can't go through here um, wearing that, and it's not subtitled. So if you have a disability, you don't know that you're meant to be changing your gear, you're just sort of being pushed away without any sign that you're not meant to go in there. Hmm. So, um, yeah, as, as for changing the game design for disabilities, subtitles are a must. Uh, as for characters, though, there aren't that many examples that come to mind. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a great example with uh, Celeste and Hellblade there. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a niche field, which I, I wish was wider. Because it's, it's actually a really interesting concept. And actually one that just came to mind is a little indie game called Perception, where you play as a blind woman. And um, you, sort of, you walk around the environment, and um, you use your sense of hearing to tell where things are. So uh, every now and then you have to press a button which kind of highlights everything around you. So that's kind of an interesting way of... Um, it doesn't necessarily realistically portray how um, blind people can see the world, but it lets you see the game through someone else's eyes, and that's very cool, I think. Um, but yeah, as a whole, I just wish games had better accessibility for um, those who are disabled. And yeah, you know, subtitles are the, are the way to start with that. You know, they're just not very good as they are. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that is a very good point. Like, subtitles are just good to have in general. And it, it was always kind of interesting. Like, uh, one of the things that annoyed me, like, I, I can kind of understand about it is. Uh, like we both love Tokyo Mirage sessions. I didn't get to play farther into it, but it was kind of annoying to me that I like they were talking in between battles. You know, they would have in battle conversation with each other or like attack cries, stuff like that. And none of them were subtitled because they were all in Japanese. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the heck are they saying? I kind of want to know what they're saying. And yeah. it, it, it's, it's frustrating not to get that piece of information when you have no other way to get it. So. I can completely understand that point of view and why that is so important. Um, and I'm, I was, I've been sitting here the entire time trying to think of like a disabled protagonist or a side character or something like that. And either they're like ridiculously over top and super capable despite their, <laughs> despite their disabled, the disability mm-hmm. or um, like, cause you always got the blind swordsman or stuff like that. And that, that does not count to me. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. But the, or there's they're like oh pity this guy type thing. And I'm trying to think like the only disabled guy and it never becomes a thing uh, again is like Barrett from Final Fantasy VII since he you know he's missing an arm and has it replaced with a gun which is again ridiculous. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that starts off as a good point. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I'm and I'm trying to think of other characters. I mean, even to, to, to movies, like the, the um, Kingsman mo- uh, first Kingsman movie, the girl who lost her legs and replaced it with swords. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those weird things where disabilities don't get played much. Like, when I think disabilities and really showing it accurately, but also kind of in a badass way, it is Furiosa from, Fur- from Fury Road. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's I think that's one of the most interesting disabilities there, and uh, like I'm trying to think like if there's any like there had to be a character in a wheelchair at some point. Uh, uh, um, well, Cloud was in Final Fantasy VII <laughs> at a very true. short point. <laughs> that's true. Oh God. Um, yeah, because I I I grew up. My father has been uh, paralyzed from the waist down ever since I was born, like before I was born. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, it's just something I was used to. It is what it is. But you don't really see characters in a, in, in a wheelchair anymore. Again, I think extreme Ghostbusters and the ridiculous crap he was pulling off. But I can also kind of see it because the upper arm strength of guys in wheelchairs are ridiculous. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, there's actually one, um, this isn't really a disability, but there's this one cool scene in Metal Gear Solid 3D where um, in Snake Eater, uh, obviously Naked Snake loses an eye and gets an eye patch at one point. Mm -hmm. And in the 3DS version, um, when Snake loses his eye, the 3D effect goes out. So there's this very cool moment where it just, yeah, you just have like a single eye um, perception, which is so cool. Uh, it's only for a moment, but it's just such a, a very slight and very cool interpretation of that. Um, but yeah, I, I do wish there were more protagonists that kind of... Um, they have a disability, but they use it to their strengths, like in Celeste, which is just, it's just not a very common thing, mm. and it's a shame. Um, and also, actually, to go back to the point about subtitles, uh, just text in games at the moment is so small. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, was, I remember playing uh, Monster Hunter um, 3 Ultimate on Wii U, and the text was like unreadable. Like it's just it's so tiny that you need to be right next to the screen to even read it. Oh, yeah. And as someone with I have pretty good eyesight, so that's not really a problem for me. And, and I, I still struggle. But for someone who has um, seeing problems, that's that's going to just be a huge hurdle for them. Yeah, and like God of the new God of War was a big problem with that. They had to patch it in to make it bigger because everybody was complaining that even the menus were just the text was just way too small. So yeah. I, it's one of those things like how do they not realize these things? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't really feel like a lot of games are made in mind um, for people with disabilities, which is that's, that, that must be very disheartening for people who do have them. Mm-hmm. Though we do have the Xbox uh, accessibility controller, yes. which is very that cool. That is a nice step up. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah it, yeah, it feels like as games get more complicated, it, they, they're not as accessible to everyone. I do like how a lot of puzzle games like Poyo Poyo um, have color uh, differences for those who are colorblind. Mm-hmm. That, that's very cool. Yeah, we've, we've done a decent job about helping people that are colorblind. Not every game, but a good majority of them are at least aware of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like, it, it'd be interesting to see that kind of perspective and that, that thought process behind it and... I don't know, just get get a feeling of it. But it's also just not something that's not super common. So mm-hmm. maybe yeah. one day. It'd be interesting to see more of that. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd like that. And just ways to help people enjoy it more. And, you know, as you said, subtitles. Like, that's the big, obvious, easy one to fix. <laughs> yeah, just make them bigger, make them more clear. And I think people will be fine with that. And if subtitles are like pretty much always on by default too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess they just need more settings, like just have more options to make them larger or change the color or something like that. Yeah. And I have a friend who has no issue seeing, no issue hearing, anything like that. He just prefers having subtitles on at all times. So, and 
pretty sure there's probably even more people out there like that that just enjoy having the subtitles that way because sometimes the sound mixing or just the way they speak makes it a little harder to understand so having that uh-huh. subtitle down there clarifying does help so yeah I, I can't imagine playing sonic adventure 2 without the subtitles oh God. <laughs> the sound mixing is so <laughs> awful in that game <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's, that's for sure <laughs> oh boy <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my topic comes from Daniel Palmer. Palm, excuse me, Daniel Palmer uh, <laughs> says, "Good day, Game Explain. Uh, there's been a bunch of Nintendo accessories over the years, from Rob and the NES Zapper up to what we have now with Labo. What are some of your favorite ex- accessories from the, for Nintendo consoles and other consoles, if you'd like? And what other ones? Could, and what ones could you do without?" All the best and happy gaming from Down Under. So I thought this was interesting because the thing is, I haven't bought a lot of accessories over the years. Um, <clears throat> but one of the ones that always stuck out to me, uh, stood out to me uh, was the track and field pad. Because I never owned it myself, uh-huh. but I remember going over to Cousin's Place and they had, they unrolled this pad for track and field. And I'd be, I'd be like, what the heck? And just blew my mind <laughs> that I actually could register everything and do all that and of course invariably all we did was get on our knees and use our hands to go even faster of course <laughs> but that, that, that's a still art. very cool though yeah that that. You know, that kind of that kind of became the dance mat in time too like very very similar um idea going on there mm-hmm. which is you know again it's really smart like it's it's one of those things where you look at the de- the dance pad for dance dance revolution or the instruments for guitar hero and rock band and all that they're really cool in concept but then you stop playing the games and all of a sudden it's like where the heck do i put this crap like storing it is a pain <laughs> in the butt and uh-huh. uh yeah i can definitely see that being a, like that's the weird thing with accessories as you can get some really cool ones which is why i kind of like the ones that are smaller <laughs> like i i still have my nes zapper it's completely useless without a crt tv but i have a fondness for it you know because <laughs> mm-hmm. as a kid i had duck hunt had hogan's alley had um a game called trick shooting and i never played any of them from back and like sitting back i'd always get right up next to the tv and shoot them <laughs> right up there that way i didn't miss because i i had terrible aim <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, sticking on NES though for a moment, one um, one controller I really like is the NES Advantage, which is this sort of hulking uh, joystick, mm-hmm. and I use it a lot for um, for Pac-Man on the NES. Um, so it's, it's just like it's a really great huge controller that feels like an arcade stick, and it has such huge weight to it too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a particularly expensive one. I think it actually was licensed by Nintendo as well. So this is an official. Yes, it might might, might have been done by a third party, but it, it was official uh, Nintendo seal of approval. Yeah, because so, I actually had one as yeah, well. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, it, it feels it feels like you're kind of like in a cockpit almost because there's all these <laughs> dials that you can turn around as well. <laughs> I never understood what they were for. I was just like, okay, I'm using this for Pac-Man, and that's pretty much it. Because I tried with like regular platformers, and I never like I'm like, no, I want my D-pad back. This is awful. Yeah. <laughs> so I was never a huge <laughs> fan of the the NES, NES Advantage, but it, it definitely took up a lot of power because I remember it had to take up both uh, controller ports whenever you used right, it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could change between the controller ports as well on on the actual um, on the controller. So I wonder if that's why, or whether it just needs the power. <laughs> I'm not sure. Because <laughs> it was a beast. That thing was huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely massive. Um, as for ones I can do without, actually, the Xbox Connect. unfortunately, I had a very poor experience with. Uh-huh. Um, 
I got that for uh, Sonic. Is it Sonic Free Riders? I oh think it was. no! Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, it was the only game I bought for it, oh. and I just had such a terrible time getting it to read any kind of response from me. It was just so unresponsive, and I know that game is notorious for not playing very well on Connect, but it was just such a bad experience with that controller that I just never really used it again. <laughs> I do not blame you. Oh, I don't blame you at all. Um, trying to think of an accessory I did not enjoy. I didn't really, like I said, I didn't really pick up many accessories. Uh, Rob is sort of an obvious one of just not a very good accessory. It, it, it worked. It worked well for its job as a Trojan horse, but its games were not great. Uh, I've seen them in action and just like, oh my god, this is boring. <laughs> um, right. Actually, one of the ones I was I'm kind of fond of is I got a um, steering steering wheel accessory for the Sega Saturn, and using that uh-huh. with uh, Daytona USA was a lot of fun. Oh, I bet, yeah, yeah. Because the, the Sega Saturn, um, you had two controllers. There's the the regular one that came with the D pad. Mm-hmm. And then there's the analog one. So I guess the steering wheel, because um, the analog controller wasn't, probably wasn't the best, um, but the, the steering wheel kind of gives you a bit more precision than the standard one would. So even for, um, just for the system, that gives you kind of an av- advantage. But also, you know, the Saturn's are home to a lot of arcade games. So that gives you just this authentic arcade experience. Oh, yeah. So that's very cool. And they, they had these really cool, like, um, things underneath the wheel where you, like, shift up and down for manual controls. And it was, like, really did feel... Oh, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it felt very cool. It felt very cool. Like, it, was, it wasn't a realistic-looking wheel at all. It was sort of, like, almost like a go-kart wheel. But it was just uh-huh. enough to give you that sense of feeling that you were driving the car. And it was uh, really cool. Um, and I actually did have the the analog controller that they, that came with Nights into Dreams. And uh-huh. uh, looking back at it, man, that analog control that the analog was weird because it wasn't. Yeah, what you it was plastic. Yeah, it was plastic. <laughs> it was hard like, plastic. Like, the analog. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a trackball with a thumbprint in, in it on the top. Yeah, you can you can see the evolution between that controller and the Dreamcast controller. Yeah, but it's just so like it's it doesn't feel good. It's just very very hard. The analog stick. <laughs> yeah, I, I I only ever used it for nights. <laughs> of course, I didn't, I didn't have a lot. I, of I, I used games. it for nights and and Sonic R. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh goodness, but I'm trying to think of any others. Like I never played Time Crisis, so I didn't have any of the, the, those guns for the uh, PlayStation. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really get into. Yeah. It. I- I guess for living without the um, the Wii Zapper was very much just a plastic case for the Wii Remote. Yeah, and um, so many games like say like I deal with the Wii Zapper, but it's literally no different. Yeah, no. <laughs> you can just hold it in that way, and you have just the same experience. Like it's yeah, it's kind of it was kind of lame. <laughs> Let's be honest. Same yeah, thing. With- and some some games actually weren't better. Like they'll say better with the Wii Zapper. But then it's actually kind of hard to press some things. <laughs> I think um, Resident Evil: The Dark Side Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Um, had a, like a few more buttons on the nunchuck that were very hard to press when in the zapper. Oh. So if anything, that game was better without the zapper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing with the Wii. The Wii was weird because I remember those accessories that they sold uh, for sports games. Uh, third party, not uh-huh. Nintendo. But it was literally just an attachment to put a tennis racket and on your Wii mode or um, a golf club type thing. And the problem was it would cover up the IR pointer. So you'd have to take it off to use oh, the yeah. eye pointer and then put it back on. And there's, it served no purpose. It just made it look like a golf club or a tennis racket. Mm-hmm. 
I remember my um, one Christmas, my auntie thought it'd be a good idea to get me a set of those. Oh, no. <laughs> so I, uh, I've got like they had it. There was modelled after all the tennis games in Wii Sports, and I, I, I put them on once, I think, but it was just way too cumbersome. Like you could not point with them. So what was the point? And it just it it. I mean, it didn't add anything. It was just a bit of plastic on the end of your controller. So yeah, I, it was. I guess it's just like a nice cheap Christmas gift. But apart from that, I had no, I had no use for it. Yeah, it's it's just not good. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of any other accessories. Like I'm looking at my collection now, and I just I don't really have a lot of others. Fortunately, I stayed away from those. Although there actually I just spotted something that made me think of this: lights for your Game Boy. Uh, oh yeah, good one. Yeah, because I, I for the original, I had the original Game Boy, the you know the the big brick, and I had two accessories. I had an accessory for that where it provided light, but it also put a magnifying glass on top of the screen to make it look <laughs> bigger. And all it did was distort the screen, and I couldn't play with it. So I'm like, it just the light source never worked that well because I had to look through the magnifying glass and it was awful so i just never i always just tried to find the best position and then with the game boy mm-hmm. color they had just this little thing that plugged into the side and it was kind of like plastic where you could position it it was a lot better for that kind of thing yeah i, I think japan had the game boy light which was um uh a it had it was actually backlit the screen mm-hmm. and that wasn't released internationally so that's that's kind of a shame but yeah, they uh, they definitely monetized on um, on all of those Game Boy accessories back in the day. <laughs> I had uh, I had multiple friends with the magnifying glass for some reason, and I to this day I can't understand why. Like it, it doesn't make the picture look better. No, it doesn't. And the game was perfectly viewable as it was. <laughs> <laughs> it made no sense, and it's it's so dumb. But there it was <laughs> he had it for some reason. Uh, I don't get it. But uh, no, that was a fun one. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, for our combined topic this week, we have uh, Defender of Chaos, who says, Hello, GX crew. I hope Ash and Derek are part of this uh, podcast because I want to hear them just gush over the Sonic Mania Adventure shorts. If I need to put... If I need to put a question, though, then let's say hypothetically it was announced we got more of Mini Adventures. How would you like to see them released? The standard for the five, five where they were two to three minutes each, or how cartoons are usually made with 10 to 11 minutes? Also, I hope you hit a million subscribers for, before Smash comes out. So, thank you for that. And Ash might not be here, but John, I know you were just as big a fan of the Mania Adventure shorts, which finally ended. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, God, I want more. <laughs> this is so. Yeah, how how weird is it that Sega, you know, this huge company, are just giving away free animation with nothing, with no strings attached? Yeah, like this is like unprecedented. Um, but yeah, the the Mania shorts are so good. Uh, they've made these characters really expressive in a very funny way, and the shorts were made by a famous uh, Sonic um, comic artist. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of put his own personality in there, too. So you're seeing these kind of expressions that you wouldn't really see in official games. But he's made them work with the actual personalities of the characters. Uh, and there's, there's so many frames you can take apart out of, of, out of Mania Adventures and sort of turn into memes. Like oh, I think so much every episode had memes come out of it. It was so easy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
the characterization of Knuckles in these in these shorts are so good. Like the way he, I love that bit where he just has his wide eyes as he's like jumping on top of the master emerald and just trying to protect it, like suspicious of everything. <laughs> and then he has the one of the best moments in the fifth in the final episode where he just comes out of nowhere, punches out Metal Sonic and Eggman, and then just confidently walks away with his master emerald. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love that. I mean, Knuckles has just kind of been there as a character since uh, Sonic Three and Knuckles, and it's it's good to see him go back to his roots in the in the Mania uh, Adventures. And I actually think these characters, uh, in in just these eleven minutes of footage, have had more character or have better characterization than any of the three D games. And you know, those those have like accumulated one and a half hours of cutscenes in in their games. Mm. But Mania Adventures in just a few frames, I think, captures better personality for all of these characters. <laughs> well, there's that scene where Sonic's all hyped up about fighting Metal Sonic, and Tails like you can see just sort of like wait, and then he he sees Sonic just going for it. He just has this head slap moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh god, that's so good. Yeah, and the thing is that they don't say a word. Like this, this is all done through expressions, and it, it just works so well. And I think it'd actually be kind of weird to have them talk in this, like with this style of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think like. Sonic has always captured personality without speaking. In the original Mega Drive games, his idle animations speak for him. And I think they've, they've kind of captured that again in Mania Adventures. Yeah, absolutely. They just found this perfect balance between the coolness and the cuteness of these characters. And I want to see more. I, I don't know if we'll get more. I, I don't know if this format works for a 10 to 11 minute cartoon, unless you go full Tom and Jerry with it which I don't think they would do. Um, I think it does work better to have just a sort of shorter story. And I, I've not watched all of them back-to-back, so I'm, I'm curious how, how well they slot together uh, in that way. But I think um, I, I think more, just another five episodes of two to three minute shorts, I'll, I'm totally there for. Like, just give us more. Like, let us see, I want to see his interpretation of Amy. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a shame she's been left out of Mania completely. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would like to see, actually, is for them to sort of use these as zone transitions in a sequel to Ooh. Mania. So whenever you finish a zone, you just sort of get a bit of story context and get a bit of um, world movement, too. Because, um, obviously, Mania had that um, with its like very small, like, um, had the... Um, the uh, the emerald sort of take them from from uh, area to area, mm. but I think it would be really interesting if they just sort of just had a cutscene, you know, just had like still have it in the style of Mania, like these, but just have something that that brings that uh, sort of gaps the zones together because they, they don't really have any motivation to release the Mania adventures. They just put they put them on YouTube well after Mania launched, and they, I don't really see like outside of just sort of um, getting views on YouTube. I'm not sure what they get out of they this. They sort of served as a countdown to Mania Adventures, uh, Mania uh, Plus. Oh yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, that was. But yeah, yet. I'd like to see them um, exist within the context of the game and and bring the story together that way. Because mm-hmm. it was that opening cutscene was uh, wonderful for Mania, and then to get more of that through Mania Adventures was great. So yeah, I'd love to see them serve as like. Let's tell a story like in the in the game and like have all that because the thing even with Sonic CD is like you at the end the 
end uh, uh, animation that plays when you beat the game shows all this stuff that you like, hey, here's what Sonic was kind of doing as you were playing uh, as you were playing the game. Like, here's our interpretation animation-wise. And I still love that one where he's uh, finding those guys with the buzzsaws in front of him, and he's jumping from one to one, and he, like, <laughs> waves at the other as they ram into each other, and he just has this great sense of confidence to him. Like, a, one of the really early great sense of uh, Sonic characterizations. And to get more of that in between would be kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, as for whether they can just make more of these, I hope so, but I would rather they save them for a full game. Um, I, I guess the story was maybe a tad jarring in retrospect. Like, the, the the way it's told is brilliant, but what are they actually telling in these? I mean, it's just kind of Sonic fighting Eggman. <laughs> Pretty much. And that's kind of it. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a continuation from Forces, it seems. You know, Sonic's coming back from... Uh, from that game, he's pulling the same pose at, at the start of the episode, mm. so it feels like there's a continuation going, but the the plot isn't really there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's basically the same plot as the first three games, where it's just like, hey, Eggman's up to no good, stop him. Right, <laughs> and it works. You know, it, it's as simple as it get. They um, they did a new take on it, but yeah, I, I'd like for them to uh, to maybe tell a new story in in another episode. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Especially, again, the characterization of Eggman in this is also pretty great. Just, I love the little slap oh, fight yeah. they have. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, yep. But, uh, well, thank you very much for that question, Defender of Chaos. And I think that takes care of it for episode 109 of the Real Talk podcast. So, thank you guys once again for the questions and for listening in. And, of course, if you guys want to support us on Patreon, it's only $1 a month to get these podcasts uh, three days early. Uh, every Friday or Saturday, hopefully, uh, as well as access to our VIP lounge on the Discord and uh, being able to ask questions like these. So uh, we'll catch you next week for episode 110. Till then, guys. Bye. Bye.